Amen. Hey, grab a seat, and as you do, get a Bible on your lap to the book of 1 John, and we're in chapter 2. If you need a Bible, you'll find one under a seat somewhere around you. Grab that, and if you don't own a Bible, please leave with that. We would love that to be our gift to you today. 1 John chapter 2. My question to start us is this. Are, are we living in the last hour? Are we living in the last hour? Uh, as you watch the headlines, as you look around, as you just kind of think through the direction in which culture is going, are, are we living in the last hour? Now, I want you to look at something, uh, as for those of you that are there in First John chapter 2, at the top of the passage we're studying today, verse 18, John writes this, children, it is the what? It is the last hour. And so John uh, writes to these Christians in this day that it is the last hour. This is written somewhere, you know, 1900 plus years ago. And so um, uh, my question is, could it be the last hour then? And can it be the last hour now? Yes. And if so, that's a really long hour, right? And so what is John writing there that kind of sets the stage for the context in which we're studying? Um, uh, redemptive history, the people of God were waiting for the coming of the Messiah. And what we get to celebrate every Christmas is that the Messiah has come. And his name is Jesus. He was born in Bethlehem and he was laid in a manger. And uh, he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sin. Uh, he was buried, he rose again, and then he ascended to heaven. That's sweet, right? We follow, we follow him. That's pretty sweet. But uh, Scripture also teaches that uh, there will be a second coming, right? That Jesus uh, is coming back. And uh, so those of us in history that live between the first coming and the second coming of Christ are, are living in this last hour time. And now I love what one writer said this week. He said the last hour will have a last hour, meaning there will, you know, things will intensify and we will get closer and closer to the return of Christ. But we are people living in the last hour. Now, where this uh, passage is going to go, John's going to tell us why he calls this the last hour. And he's going to point out like what's going on that are indicators for these Christians that, that, that they're living in this last hour reality. But what's beautiful about this passage, for those of us who find ourselves uh, living in the time where we're waiting for the return of Christ, this is such... Um, this is such a restful passage. This is, such a, this is a passage that um, provides us peace in the midst of what we are living in. And John is going to pull out some things. Why us as Jesus followers can find great peace in the time of living in the last hour, awaiting the return of Christ. And so um, as we look at the rest of chapter 2 today, we're going to pull out four restful reminders for last hour living. Four restful reminders for last hour living. And one of the last verses we're going to read today is 1 John 2, 28. And this verse kind of serves as the main idea of all that we're talking about today. And 1 John 2, 28 says this, And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. That's what we're going after today. Let me pray for us, and then let's get right into it. Father, 
We're so thankful for your word, Lord. We're thankful. God, we're just thankful that you give us teaching like this that allows our faith to be firmly planted in the midst of uh, shifting seasons in which the world we live. God, we're thankful for your word that allows us to keep our eyes fixed on you when so much rages around us that wants to steal our attention. God, I pray in these moments right here with your word open, God, would you make it clear? Would you apply it to our heart? God, would you help us to walk out of here differently than we walked in? God, we beg you for that now. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me read this all. 1 John 2, 18. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Four restful reminders for last hour living. First one I want to point out is this. Many are and will continue to be against Christ. Many are and will continue to be against Christ. It's a reminder we need as Christians living in this hour. And I want to show you where I'm getting that from. Verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. And now some of you are going, yes. I didn't bring my left behind book today, but I'm so excited for like where we're going. Not, 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 really, not really the message of today, okay? So just put your left behind book away and like uh, for a different sermon. What we want to talk about today is what is, what's John saying here? When he says many antichrists have come, who's he talking about? It seems that John is talking about here where he goes in verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. Remember what we've talked about nearly every week in this. Um, So much of what is prompting John's writing is a group of people who have left the Jesus community here and have been pulled away into this Gnostic teaching, this Gnostic heresy. And so, that has caused so much unrest in the midst of this church. And it, it, you know why. 
We, we need to, you know, it's one thing to read this, that John's writing to this congregation, uh, you know, centuries and centuries ago, but think about why this would have caused so much unrest. Imagine us doing life together, worshiping together, um, uh, spending time at each other's, with each other's family, and all of a sudden a whole group of people leave and go follow after some false teaching and some heresy. And John John is saying, and the weight of this statement, so now many antichrists have come. All that means is so now many who are against Christ have come. He's saying there's many against Christ here, and the heaviness is these people who have left the Jesus community are part of the, the group of people he's including in the many who are against Christ. Now, we need to understand why such the strong language about this group. What is it that they're believing and propagating and teaching? Why are they against Christ? From a high level, this Gnostic heresy, and there's a lot written about and a lot you can go, go into, but from a high level, this Gnostic teaching was that there was, um, there was a group of people, them, the Gnostics, who were who were more enlightened. They had the gnosis or the knowledge. Um, they knew God on a different level. And they were, these people that have pulled away are now influencing these Christian communities saying, hey, you think you know, but you really don't know. So much of this Gnostic teaching was an attack on the deity of Christ, the godness of Christ. And, and just kind of for an example of, of some of the stuff they would have taught uh, was something like this, that Jesus was a man, and at his baptism, Messianess like descended on him, Christness kind of came down on him, and then he lived some years with this Christness on him. But then um, before his uh, crucifixion, that Christness or Messianess that left him and a man died. And so the Gnostic teaching was a direct attack on the godness, the deity of Christ, Jesus being fully God and fully man. And this is why John is like, these people are against Christ. It's not just that they can kind of have some different thoughts on who Jesus is and that's okay. He goes, no, no, no. They're fundamentally attacking the deity of Christ. They're against Christ. And that's what leads him to say what he says in verse 22. He says, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. These people are over here going, hey, we know God. You guys think you know God. We really know God. And if you want to really know God too, you need to come and let us teach you these things. And John is reminding this Jesus community, no, 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 no. No one who denies the Son has the Father. He's like, don't get pulled into that. Don't get twisted by that. Don't get deceived by that. You just need to know these people are against Christ. But remember, they were going to each other, you know, kids' second birthday parties. 
They were doing life together. They were worshiping together. This is hard. They knew these people. It's one thing for us to read this uh, years and years removed and go like, I didn't really personally know the people he's talking about who left the, the church. They knew them. The relational weight of this is huge. The impact this could have had to kind of shake their faith and make their faith waver. And this is why, as hard as verse 19 is to read, this is actually comfort that we find in verse 19. John tells them that, yes, they left us. They went out from us. But here's what you need to know. But they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have, and what's the word there in the verse? They would have what? They would have continued with us. But they, are, they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. And there's a really, really, really important teaching there in verse 19. And the teaching is that those who, to say it like this, those who reshape a Jesus of their making and then follow that, or those who renounce the true Jesus altogether, those who reshape the faith or those who renounce the faith, Scripture would tell us have never actually been redeemed in the faith in the first place. Now, I know based on some of your kind of theological backgrounds, you might be thinking of specific people and your head might tilt, but I just want you to read what verse 19 has to say. That anyone who reshapes the faith into a making of their own imagination or renounces the true Christ altogether has never been redeemed in the faith in the first place. To say it like this, a counterfeit faith cannot endure. A counterfeit faith will never endure. It can't. And this is just what we need to know about being Jesus followers, redeemed by Jesus, Holy Spirit inside of us. We can't get thrown off our bike when someone famous renounces the faith. We can't get like thrown off our spiritual bike when someone says, no, 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 you know what, I've, ac I've actually been studying and I've taken the Bible and I've coupled it with these things over here and I kind of like this version of it. Don't let that throw you off your bike. I grew up in West Michigan. There's a prominent, prominent pastor. He kind of became the uh, just super influential, not only in West Michigan, but around the country. If I said his name, you'd probably know it, um, so I won't. But um, he kind of reshaped the teaching of the Bible for himself. And it, it sent kind of shock waves through West Michigan Christian culture. What John is saying, what we need to be reminded of, what we need to cling to, what we need to rest in, is when these things happen, we just need to remember as last hour livers, there are going to be many who are against Christ. And we often so, we so often think of those people as like the overt, angry, antagonistic ones. No, there are going to be many against Christ who come right out. They were like they were among us. And they, they always just kind of looked and talked and smelled the part. And that's going, to be, that's going to be some of the ones that have the potential to shake our faith the most. We're going to get more into that in the third reminder. But we need to remember, many are and will continue to be against Christ. So, 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 what do we do? 
where do we keep where do we keep our focus in those times what anchors our faith when many are against Christ and if you're in Christ which means many will be against you where does our faith stay anchored second reminder my soul Focus is to abide in Christ. Don't let the simplicity of that go over your head. Yeah, 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 abide in Christ. No, no, no. My sole focus is to abide in Christ. I want you to look and see what John does in his writing here. Let me read 18 and 19 so that we can feel what happens when he gets to 20. Got it? Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us, but you. See that? John is definitely painting a them and us here. They, 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 they. But John goes, but now I'm ta- I want to talk to you. You, Christian. You, Jesus follower. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. And you all have knowledge. Now, that's a weird thing to say. Why does he say this? This is a direct, he's using direct language to combat what the Gnostics are saying. They're saying, you want knowledge? You really want to know who God is? You want to know? You want to know? You got to come over here. You got to believe this. Let us teach you. You think you know who Jesus is. Let us teach you who Jesus really is. And John goes, no, you want to know something? You've You've been anointed by the Holy One. Meaning, you've been anointed by the Holy Spirit. You have the Spirit of God inside of you. You have the Spirit of God teaching you. You have the knowledge. When they're saying, come over here, we're going to teach you something, you say malarkey. Really, it's in the Greek there. Look it up. You say, you don't know anything about my God. I have the Spirit of God inside of me teaching me all things, but you have the knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. When we encounter in last hour living... Many who are against Christ, whether those rise up from kind of within and seek to take people away into some false gospel or those from without who are antagonistically oppressive or even kind of covertly um, oppressive, what do we do? We simply rest in who we know that Jesus Christ is. Did you see how many times in this passage the word abide? Abide, abide, abide. Abide in the teaching. Abide in the Son. Just abide. Just rest and just remain. This is what allows a Jesus follower in the midst of the chaos of the storm of last hour culture to walk resolutely, peacefully, restfully in their heart when they simply abide in Christ. Now, how do we do that? I think verses 24 to 26 help us. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Think about that statement. He says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. 
He's calling them to a simple rest in the simple gospel. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Just rest in the simple gospel message. Uh, There is a creator God, and creator God is the one true God. He made this all perfectly. Humanity has sinned. They've broken this. They've broken relationship with God. But God loved us so much that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The moment you put your faith in this son, this savior, you are saved and you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. He's like, rest in that. If he could say it here, I think, you know, kiss. Keep it simple, Sonny. (laughs) He's like, just keep it simple here. That which you've heard from the beginning, let that abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father, and this is the promise that he made to us eternal life. Right there. As chaos of last hour living rages around us, you just simply abide in the gospel, which leads you to abide in the Son, which leads you to know you have the Father, which leads you to know you have the gift of eternal life. This is where John is seeking to keep these people focused. And so... Many are and will continue to be against Jesus, but our sole focus as Jesus followers is to simply abide in Christ. Thirdly, it says, don't let those against Christ shake my abiding in Christ. So we said there'd be people against him. We said we need to abide, but there's this reality. There's this war. There's this clash that will happen, that is happening, that you've experienced, that those who are against Christ will clash and seek to shake the faith of those who are abiding in Christ. And John actually tells them, this is why I'm writing to you. Verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to, what's the word? I write these things to you about those who are trying to, come on, help me out, to deceive you. These people are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Don't let them deceive you. He goes on to say, you have no need that anyone should teach you. Now, 15-year-olds in the room, um, let's keep this in its proper context, okay? Don't want you going home and going, you don't need, I don't need anyone to teach me. <laughs> What's this saying? Remember the context we find. It always keeps Scripture in the context in which we're reading. John is talking about a group of false teachers who are saying, we need to teach you something. And John goes, no, actually, you've been anointed by the Holy Spirit. They don't need to teach you anything. They have nothing extra to teach you. So it's a statement about being pulled away into the teaching of false teachers. But I really want to camp out on 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. There are many people that you'll encounter in this world who will seek to deceive you or to pull you away from Christ. It's inevitable. We've talked about how that can happen through um, people rising up from within, within the church and then seeking to reshape the faith in an unbiblical way. 
or renounce the faith altogether. Just within the last couple months, a former prominent Christian uh, pastor has come out and just publicly renounced the faith, saying, as I understand the biblical Jesus, I no longer would consider myself a Christian. As I came to this part of the sermon, I could turn around in my desk and on my bookshelf were his books that were instrumental for me in a period of my walk with Jesus as a young man. How do we not let that shake us? You have those who rise up from within. You also have those, as we said, from without, who either overtly and antagonistically are against the faith and seeking to shake us. Some more covert and more like PC in nature, politically correct in nature, but nonetheless the same. And two examples of that. I've told you many times as a religion major at a non-Christian school uh, what it was like to really be a Jesus follower in the midst of some of those classes. One religion professor... um, specifically uh, found great joy in the antagonistic, over-the-top attack on the fact that people would actually believe the Jesus of the Bible. But there was uh, another man, he was an elderly man in, in the community, and he would just come to campus and just audit classes. And I audited, I had many classes uh, with him. And uh, we were walking across campus together one day, and um, he was asking me if I was a Christian, and I said I was. And, uh, you know, I always remember this moment. It was a gentle um, smile on his face, not argumentative, not attacking, but he just tapped me on the back, and he just said, you know what, that's okay. We all need a crutch to get through life. And as like a 20, 21-year-old, I didn't really know how to respond to that, and I just kind of stayed quiet. But if, if I had if I could do it all over again, in that moment, what I would have said to him is, Jesus is not a crutch to just help me get through life. Jesus is my Christ in which my entire life rests. So, so what I'm saying in that example, you have the over-the-top religion professor going at you, but then you have just like the really nice people who are just like, hey, it's okay, and just kind of covertly and politically correct, you know, undermining the authority of Jesus Christ. So what do you do when you sense some shakiness? What do you do when you sense some shakiness? A key figure in your walk with Jesus has just kind of gone off in a direction that's not biblical or renounced the faith entirely. What do you do when you get attacks from those outside Christianity? What do you do when you sense some shakiness? Let's talk about that. First thing, recite to yourself the simple gospel. And I'm taking this whole list right here from verses 24 to 26. Recite yourself the simple gospel. You, you actually believe? Like, think about it. You actually believe in a faith in which this God became a man, was born where animals eat. Oh, and born of a virgin. And then um, lived 30 years, uh, had three years of his ministry, at 33 years old, was, was, was crucified on a cross. And, and you're telling me that that crucifixion is supposed to um, be effectual to carry the weight of the sin of the whole world if people will simply put his faith in. Oh, and then he rose from the dead, huh? He rose from the dead. And for us in that moment, to recite the simple gospel to ourselves and go, yeah, I believe that. 
I'm telling you, this is where I was, halfway through my freshman year of college. I'd grown up in this. No one had ever even, no one had ever questioned my faith. And all of a sudden, like, there I am in the thick of early, you know, religion classes, and people are saying those types of things. You really believe? And I'm like, huh. From a naturally, you know, naturally speaking, some of that stuff does kind of sound a little, you know, it's okay. You can say it. Naturally speaking, some of that stuff does sound little. And it just sent me onto my own deep personal study of the simple gospel and who Jesus is and uh, came out on the other side stronger and more convinced that Jesus is the Jesus of the Bible than I was before. But you have to go back to what is the simple gospel. And then you say to yourself after this, I believe this. <laughs> yes, I believe this with all of my being. I have pushed all of the chips of my life into the middle of the table on this. I am resting in nothing else but this. I believe it. And scripture tells me believing this means I'm abiding in the Son, the Savior, the second person of the Trinity who's come and borne my sin for me that if I will put faith in him, I will live. And if you abide in that Son, you have the Father. You have the Father. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And here, this is sweet. Those who abide in the Son, they have this awesome gift that God offers, and it's called eternal life. When you sense some shakiness, the questions start to come. People start to attack you just keep it simple, Sonny. You just come right back to the basics of the faith and go, I affirm it, I affirm it, I affirm it, I affirm it, I affirm it. All of the chips of my life are cast into that right there. That's where you have to stay. And a timeout and an aside, for those of you who are students in the room, and who may find yourself in academic and intellectual settings. You need to hear what John told them earlier, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. When someone is saying, when a teacher, when a professor, when a fellow student, when a grad assistant, when whoever it is, is saying, you actually believe and they're making you feel dumb for believing it, and they're making you feel inferior for believing it, and they're making you feel a little bit crazy that you would believe it. You have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have the knowledge. And you don't need to waver on that one bit in your mind. You with me? Last restful reminder. Being in Christ, I will stand confidently before Christ when he appears. Look at what it says in verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming 
if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. In last hour living, in the midst of many who we are told will be against Christ, in the midst of the attacks on our faith, personal attacks you might experience, the attacks the church across the globe is experiencing, and the plundering of property, and physically uh, suffering harm, and even losing their life. What we have to get our focus on is our Savior will appear again. Take it to the bank. It's going to happen. And when he appears, we will not, as those who've abided in him, have to shrink back at his coming, have to cower at his coming. There will be confidence in which we can stand in, not confidence in ourselves, but confidence in him that we've been abiding in. And we'll stand confidently when he appears. Hear the word of God. And now, little children, abide in him. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Let's sing this together.